we go. You're listening to Open Mic Friday, Law and Gospel, on this September the 27th in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. This gives you an opportunity to phone in if you would like to do so. And our numbers are in St. Louis, 821-0850, or toll-free, 1-800-730-2727. We don't have the uh, phone system up on the screen, so I'm hoping that they're working on that. But if you'd like to call with any particular question, uh, don't hesitate to do so. And the phone screen popped right up. So, what an opportunity to call. Remember, you can call the 800 number anywhere. one 800 7302727 couple of announcements i am available i do have some sundays i'm preaching but if you'd like to have me come in and help out while you're calling a pastor i'm willing to do shut-ins adult instruction visit hospitalization preach etc don't hesitate to let me know just simply email me at law and gospel at law and gospel 101.com also because of my relationship with my brother-in-law and his wife, who's my wife's sister, who are magicians, I am willing to come in and do a magical show for children in parochial school, hospitals, even homes, a half hour or an hour. And what I do with the magic, I do it in such a way that I make a biblical point about it. It's spiritual in its point. The, the way I did that, I went to the magic show and went down the tables, and every time I saw a pretty good trick that I thought was good because I couldn't figure it out, then I would try and figure, okay, how can I apply this to a biblical teaching? And so I've got a whole slew of them. If you're at all interested, email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Uh, finally, uh, money that and contributions you send to KFUO do not come to Law and Gospel. We're separate, and so we have to raise our own funds. And therefore, if you would like to uh, help us in that, then go to my website. It's um, lawandgospel101.com. And if you go down to the bottom of the first page, you'll see an opportunity where you can donate through PayPal, credit cards, or whatever. And uh, we'll be only too happy. If you want a tax deduction, then listen to the information at the end of the program where it talks about how you get a tax deduction by making the check out to Concordia Mission Society. So, without further ado, have you got a question uh, for the pastor today? St. Louis, 821-0850, toll-free 1-800-730-2727. I've been very pleased with uh, Wes Reimnitz. He's the one who kind of finds items that we need to be talking about on Rumination Thursday 
And if you'll remember, yesterday's Rumination Thursday was an interesting one as we found people who are praying to plants. That's right. P-L-A-N-T-S. Plants that we eat. So, if you have any questions about that, don't hesitate to call me. And we're going to start right away with going to the phone lines. And we're going to speak with Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. You're on the air. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Yesterday you were uh, speaking with Pastor Rymness about worship, and it was kind of weird stuff. I know. Um, I wish that um, I was looking at uh, John 4 um, when Jesus is speaking about worship uh, uh, to the Samaritan woman. Oh, yes. And uh, verses um, 21 to 24, he has, uh, I wish you would um, spend some time and just talk about what he's telling her about what the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth and what that means for us. No problem at all. Uh, Are you going to stay online or? I'll, I'll hang up. Okay, no problem. All right, let's take a look at John 4, 21 to 24. Uh, Let me read it. This is when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, asks for a drink, and boy, what are you talking to me? You know, you males should not be talking to us at all. But at any rate, Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? Now, what's he referring to? The Samaritans worshipped at a different place than did those who worshipped in Jerusalem. And so there was a big controversy between the two places as to which one is the proper place to worship. And Jesus is saying, no, pretty soon... It won't be on this mountain that you're worshiping at, nor it will be on the mountain of Jerusalem. And the reason he says that is God's worship places did change. Remember, after Mount Sinai, they worshiped in a tabernacle. And it wasn't until Solomon came along that the temple was built. And then, of course, after the Babylonian captivity, God had left the temple, and the people, therefore, had no real place to worship until King Herod kind of rebuilt the temple, which was destroyed in 70 A.D. So if you look to the book of Revelation, you find that the new Jerusalem is going to be the heavenly one where we worship. And therefore, God is saying... You will be worshiping the Father in a different place. Then he says to her, you worship what you do not know. You see, they had a wrong view. They were very much like some of those at that time that believed you were saved by following the ceremonial laws. Remember the Pharisee? Thank God I'm not like that guy because what do I do? I fast. I tithe, etc. So a lot of people did not really understand God properly. He says, we worship what we know, 
for salvation is from the Jews. Now, this is really an important point to make. It's not that salvation is for the Jews. It's from the Jews. In the Old Testament books, when the Jews, Israel, are regarded as the people of God, they're not the only people of God. Remember, even in the Old Testament books, you've got individuals who are going to preach to Gentiles. Jonah wasn't very happy about... I'm sorry. Did I say Jonah? Yeah, that's right. Jonah wasn't very happy about it. Got swallowed by a big fish and ended up still going to Nineveh, which was Gentiles. So even in the Old Testament, worship did belong to the Gentiles, but it was from the Jews. God had decided to make the Jewish people the source of information, and that's where the prophets come from. Then he says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Well, first of all, the hour is here because Jesus Christ is here. And he was fulfilling the mission which the Father had given him to do. Because the Holy Trinity, two of the persons are spirit, Father and Holy Spirit, we're not talking about a matter of geographical location when we're speaking about the new place we will worship. We worship... Where? Well, after your Pentecost baptism, remember what your bodies become? Your bodies become the temple of the Lord. Therefore, as you read the scripture, as you meditate on the sermon, as you receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, those are acts of worship within the Holy Christian Church, which was established primarily at Pentecost. Not that those who were believers before that were not saved, but they were not part of the church in which the believers have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Even what John the Baptizer received prior to his birth, So Jesus goes on. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, what I find interesting is this coming Sunday is St. Michael's Sunday. Now, I know we call him a saint. He's not a human being. He's an archangel. In fact, there's only... This is a good trick question to ask people. How many angels are named in the Bible? And if uh, you're Roman Catholic, you may say quite a number. Because the Apocrypha, books which we do not consider as properly part of the Old Testament, name angels. But what are the only angels named? Most people would say two. 
One is Michael, the other is Gabriel. No, there's a third one. Whether you call him Satan, uh, Beelzebub, whatever, he is the fallen angel and he is leader of the angels. I don't know of any other angel mentioned in the Bible. So the trick question is there's three angels mentioned. Most people don't consider the devil to be an angel because when they think of the word angel, ooh, that's somebody who's really nice. Well, not the devil. So why are we worshiping the Father in spirit and truth? What does spirit mean? Scripture interprets scripture. Look at the very next verse, 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What does that mean? If you don't worship God in spirit and truth, the only other option is to worship him by your works. But because the Holy Trinity is primarily spirit, except for the Son, what we have here is every time we worship in a congregation, we are worshiping that which is invisible. We're worshiping in spirit. And what does truth mean? Uh, recently, Issues Etc. had a very good uh, hour or so on the ordination of men into the holy ministry. And it was very clear that the primary mission of a male pastor is to preach the word of God in truth. In other words, and it was even mentioned during the uh, individual they were uh, interviewing was making the point that he doesn't like it when a pastor in the sermon says, well, I think this could mean that, or this probably means this, or whatever. That's not really part of the sermon if you don't know exactly what it means. Now, there are some passages that I don't know the meaning of. Paul talks about the baptism of the dead. Uh, there's about 25 options there, and about 15 of them are wrong because they contradict other parts of the Bible. But what he specifically means, I don't think we're going to figure out until we get to heaven. Now, the people to whom he was writing, they understood what he was meaning. So you could say that in a sermon. I'm not really sure what it means. Here are some options. But options are not preaching. Proper preaching is saying, thus saith the Lord. So how do we know what God means when he writes something? You see, there's two levels when you read. You can first of all read the words, and you might understand every word. You might have a definition of it. But the second meaning is what it is applying to. Uh, using my one of my favorite passages, Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. There's a shepherd and a sheep. Well, if you read that, you could conclude Jesus is telling shepherds how they take care of their sheep. If only one of them gets lost, you leave maybe 99 of them with other shepherds while you go find the one that is lost. And when you find it, you don't beat it back 
to its home, you pick it up, put it on your shoulders, and carry it home. Now, that would be a correct understanding of the words, but a horrible understanding of the meaning. Because the shepherd signifies not us, but Jesus, who comes to find us who are lost. Every one of us were lost when we were conceived and born in sin and iniquity. God carried us home. And how did he do that? Well, he used people to do it, mainly our parents. My parents brought me to baptism soon after I was born. And in that way, I was carried into the kingdom of heaven by none other than Jesus himself. So when we're looking at this verse 24 and what it says, that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. To worship God in spirit means to follow what we have learned from the Holy Spirit. Remember, even prior to Pentecost, the disciples were still confused on a number of matters. But once Pentecost occurred and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, not only were things brought back to their remembrance, but the proper understanding of them was provided. Does that mean they never sinned? Oh, no. Uh, Remember, there was a certain individual named Peter that Paul had to chastise when Peter refused to eat with Gentiles and Jews when the Jews from Jerusalem came to town because they were primarily Jews who were Christians but of the circumcision. They they believed that even new Christians had to be circumcised. And it was a wonderful chapter in Acts where they have a council about that to decide, no, they do not need to be following the ceremonial laws. And Paul makes a big distinction uh, between let's not be fooling around with uh, the moon or festivals or this kind of thing or ceremonial laws because Christ has fulfilled them all. One is saved not by any works that one does, but by the Spirit, which means primarily trusting the promises of Jesus Christ. I know a few promises of Jesus Christ for which we have any evidence except the Word of God. So, when God says, he that repents and is baptized shall be saved, there's no evidence for that. Because you can look at baptized people and see they're still sinners. They're sinning all the time. How can they be saved? Because salvation is is not by our behavior. It's through faith in Jesus Christ as the true Son of God, believing the promises of the gospel. And what are those promises? Well, the forgiveness of sins, the robe of righteousness, comfort and comfort again and again in times of grief and in sorrow. And our joy becomes different when we understand this. I've been to many a funeral that I've conducted, and I can say many of the Christians 
were joyful. And you'll say, joyful? How could they be joyful with the death of a loved one? Because they were comforted by the fact that their loved one is now in a place for which they would give nothing to return to earth because they are in bliss. It's called the interim, that time between your personal death and the day of judgment when you are with Jesus. This may even be mentioned this coming Sunday because we're going to be talking about uh, St. Michael's. And, of course, it's the angels that carry us to heaven. Okay, uh, let's go on to our next person. Hi, I'm Pastor Baker. Who's this? Herman? Uh, and I'm believing Acts, Paul is uh, in Berea, and he mentions that the Jews in Berea were honorable. Uh, they searched the scriptures to see and to check uh, Paul's message. And essentially what we would be saying is that they are checking to see if what Paul says about Jesus has has actually been fulfilled from Scripture, would that be what is being said there? Absolutely. For example, if you say Jesus had to be crucified, the first thing they're going to ask you is, "How do you know that? What does they? What 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 do the apostles do? They go to Psalm twenty-two, for example, where it says he will be pierced in hands and feet." And when David wrote that psalm, there was no crucifixion in existence at that time. He might not even have realized what he was writing fully. But it became something that was fulfilled. When Jesus read it, he knew that he would be going to Jerusalem to be crucified. But he also knew from the Old Testament that he would be risen from the dead in three days. So you are absolutely correct. It's called sola scriptura in the Latin, which means the scripture alone is our teaching. So when the Lutherans made the Book of Concord, the Confessions, they did it on the basis of summarizing the scripture properly. And that's the vow that male pastors take when they're ordained. Uh, the Christ-centered scripture, uh, sola scripture on Jesus Christ. Uh, notice that Jesus read from the book of Isaiah in his hometown synagogue at Nazareth, and then Philip is led by the Holy Spirit to assist the Ethiopian official in the chariot to understand the uh, book of the prophet Isaiah. And then Paul encounters the Bereans, and they have scriptures that they're checking out. So it would seem that in that instance, even though all three situations, the scriptures are copies of copies. They were all accurate and all centered on Jesus Christ. And the reason for that, remember what Jesus said in that sermon after quoting Isaiah and preaching on it. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In, indeed. And uh, the uh, uh, some of the uh, higher critics say, well, uh, the scriptures are uh, too many, full of too many mistakes and differences and so forth. But here's three uh, highlighted instances with Jesus himself affirming uh, that the poor little synagogue at Nazareth had a valid copy of scripture. Yes. And remember, the people at Nazareth, when they heard this, they wanted miracles done and because he had done them in Capernaum. And when he did not do them, they were ready to throw him off a cliff. 
So they did not even understand when he said, today this is fulfilled. It took the gift of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the apostles later on. Indeed. Uh, This is a a vital point in the New Testament to see those uh, examples that hold and all focus on Jesus Christ as he spoke it himself in Nazareth and then uh, through the apostles and evangelists and those other situations. Well, thank you very much. I sure appreciate that's wonderful comments. And we're going to have to get off the air right now. On Monday's Law and Gospel, there's a lot of encouragement for older pastors to be talking to younger pastors to help them out in their new ministries. Well, that occurred also in the Bible when the Apostle Paul spoke with Timothy. And that's the lesson we're going to be taking a look at on this coming Monday's Law and Gospel. Join us to see what Paul suggested to Timothy, which should also be taught to pastors today. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.